Hey, are you here? Oh, I must say it'd be awfully cool if you were here. Hi, I see you. Thank you for coming. We are the Paul Leslie Hour, and you are the listener. Thank you for coming, and we welcome you. Real quick, before we introduce our guest, A.J. Lambert, would you subscribe to your host, Paul Leslie's YouTube channel? It's fast, it's quick, it's easy, and it's free. Our subscriptions have slowed down just a little, and we'd sure love it if you helped pick things up. YouTube, Paul Leslie, and remember to ding, ding, ring that bell. The modern art of radio. Remember that? It used to be just that very thing, an art form. The radio DJs would play these sets of songs of varying lengths, and these sets would tell a musical story. These radio broadcasts were unique, and tuning in could be a very entertaining or incredibly inspiring experience for the listeners. In those days of radio's past, the radio disc jockeys would play whatever they wanted. The interview you're about to hear is with A.J. Lambert, and she is reminiscent of those days. A.J. Lambert was a radio host of a show called Third Generation on Sirius XM Radio's Seriously Sinatra channel. A.J. Lambert? Oh, yes. She's a musician and a recording artist like her mother, Nancy Sinatra, her late uncle, Frank Sinatra Jr., and of course her grandfather, Francis Albert Sinatra. It almost goes without saying that Frank Sinatra remains one of the most renowned singers and entertainers of all time. Now, before the interview begins, Please remember that the Paul Leslie Hour is made possible by you, the listener. To be a patron of the spoken word, simply visit thepaulleslie.com slash support. Thank you. Now, let's get to it. What do you say? Let's hear A.J. Lambert's Very Honest Perspectives. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us on the Paul Leslie Hour is a musician, a music teacher, a radio personality, the host of Third Generation on Sirius Satellite Radio. It's our pleasure to welcome A.J. Lambert. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, no problem. I'm very, very, very happy to be here. I'm driving through the wild Pasadena, so... Pasadena, California. So you're out there on the West Coast. That's right. This is where I live. Where were you born originally? I was born in Los Angeles. A hospital called Cedars of Lebanon, which is now the Scientology Center. I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about the music that is most vivid from your childhood. Music that is most vivid from my childhood is probably things like Harry Nelson, David Bowie, The Beatles. My father had a very eclectic music taste, so I grew up on things like that. other very, very random things like the babies and rusty music and pointer sisters. I mean, you name it, he was into it. So I, I saw most of my kind of very musical taste from my father, Hugh Lambert. So it's a pretty eclectic list of musicians there, the babies. That's one you don't hear every day. 
Yeah, my father was really very much a music fan. And, you know, my mom is too, but I think her taste tends a little more. She has, like, you can identify sort of what she likes a little bit better than my father and me. (laughs) What about you learning to play music? When did that take place? I was just sort of exposed to it from a really young age. You know, I had music around all the time, but as far as formal training, I had piano lessons like everybody else. I had a really strange teacher who would write in the names of the notes on the music so that I never really learned how to read music properly because she, like, kind of (laughs) cheated. But I learned about how it all works and how how things sound in harmony and what tonality is and all that stuff. And I actually got really good at the piano. It's just unfortunate that I can't read music. (laughs) I started getting into music of my own sort of when I was 14, 15-year-old kid, and I taught myself a few instruments. I taught myself guitar and bass and drums, and so I can kind of play a little bit of everything just by virtue of being a fan. But it's definitely a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none situation. I do not have any one instrument that I have mastered, except my voice. That's about it. And when did you begin writing songs? I probably wrote my first song when I was in high school at some point. Some horrible, horrible, horrible thing that if anybody ever digs it up will be laughable. But yeah, I started playing around with it when I was in high school. I wanted to ask you a little bit about the radio show, Third Generation. It seems like to me, again, going back to your taste, just very, very eclectic. And it kind of reveals with all the different types of stuff. Tell me, what is it that you're trying to accomplish with your show, other than just the enjoyment of the listener? There's absolutely the enjoyment. And I have this thing where it's almost like I get this amazing opportunity to just play people's stuff I love. And, you know, when I first started doing the show, the idea was that it would be things that, you know, I thought my grandfather might like or that he might hate which also I thought was interesting. Like, here's something that is very much not something he was into, you know, so I thought that was an interesting take on stuff, too. But honestly, it sort of evolved into things that I, 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 at the very beginning of doing that show, I would get a lot of feedback about how it's not Sinatra music, it's not standards, it's not things that go on this channel, blah, blah, blah. And I started to think, if you listen to these things as just songs and not hearing them as genre, per se, not hearing them as a hip-hop song, not hearing them as something that's unfamiliar, and just hearing them as songs that are well-written, then they're all the same. If it's good music, it's good music. Do you ever listen to recording artists of today and think, wow, I can hear... Frank Sinatra there. I can hear an influence. There are some where it's very obvious, and I don't tend to gravitate towards those, to be honest with you, because I feel like the ones where you can really hear it are people who are such fans, which is great, but they're such fans that they become sort of imitators or or would-be imitators, and I just think that that's a waste of time because... You're not going to sound like him. Yes. Sometimes 
I really do hear an influence, but I like to find that influence in things like interpretation, you know, mastery of the the art of interpreting a song and making it your own. That, to me, spells more of a Sinatra influence than being a crooner. If I can hear that you're doing interpretation, that, to me, more of a Sinatra influence than any specific vocal performance style. To me, the vocal performance style that sounds like Frank Sinatra's imitation, I just think that's kind of a waste of time. It's very flattering, I'm sure, but it just, I think it's much more, it's much more sort of accurate or correct or something. I don't even know what the word is to be a master interpreter than to attempt any kind of style that is Sinatra-ish. That's my opinion. So people like David Bowie, for instance, I feel, and even though he wasn't really a fan of my grandfather's, in fact, I think he decidedly was not a fan of my grandfather's, I am a huge fan of his, as you can probably glean from my show. And I believe that's because he is a master of that idea of being an interpreter of music. So... But then somebody like, I don't know, like a Michael Bublé or somebody, while they are, are very talented, it just it doesn't do anything for me because it just sounds like they're trying to copy somebody. Tell us a little bit about the song that you co-wrote that your mother recorded, Boss Man. Yes, that was a collaboration between myself and a duo called Reno, and I don't know if they're actually still called that. I actually don't even know if they're still a band. Basically, what happened was they approached me to say that they were interested in collaborating with my mom on a song that they had sampled some of her music from, and she really liked what they did with the song they used the sample in. But then we started thinking, like, well, why don't we just take it further and, and write something that she can sing over it that won't be just, you know, the typical blah, blah, of sampling and all that kind of stuff. So we did. We uh, met up. They came over from England. And actually, their manager ended up being in cont- contention for manager of one of my bands, Years later, which is very strange that we met up again, we talked, figured out something to write. My husband at the time and I wrote the song with them, and it ended up on her record, Nancy Sinatra, which we produced with Don Fleming, and it was also featured in a Sopranos episode in which she and I both appeared, which was really fun. I kind of forced my way into that one. <laughs> I was like, I am, you know, singing on the record, and if you're going to have her, well, then you surely need a backup singer because there's a background singer in the record. So surely you need someone on camera. So I weaseled my way into the show. That's kind of how that happened. And it sparked a whole thing where we ended up writing the whole, well, creating the whole record around that idea of collaboration between her and her fans, basically, who happen to be famous people. 
I thought this was very, very interesting. You lived for a time in Hoboken, New Jersey. Yes. And a lot of people who are listening or reading this, they know that that's the birthplace of your grandfather, Frank Sinatra. Right. For someone who's never been to Hoboken, what is Hoboken like? Hoboken is a very, well, nowadays it's a very, it's a very yuppie, I guess, kind of town. It's very small. It's beautiful. It's on the opposite side of the Hudson River from Manhattan in New York City. So basically, when you see pictures of Manhattan, depending on what river it's being taken from, it's very likely that it could be being taken from Hoboken because it's right across the river. In fact, you can take a boat to it. You can take a train that goes under the water to it. And I really liked it. It was it was very random. It wasn't that I set out to go live there because of Frank Sinatra and my grand. It wasn't about that at all. It was very random. I uh, happened to meet Don Fleming years before in L.A. when he came out to L.A. where I live to see about producing a record of the band that I was in at the time. So he did that for his label. And that's how we became friends from working on my record. And then when I moved to New York in 1997, he and I were doing a label together. We had created a little vinyl-only imprint type label, which was a little too ahead of its time. (laughs) People weren't ready for that at that point in 1997. And we worked sometimes at a studio that was in Hoboken. It just happened to be there. Because at that time, it was a place where artists could get cheap loft space. It was not the nicest neighborhood for many, many, many years, including when my grandfather lived there, which is why when I ended up living there, everybody was like, what are you doing? And I said, no, 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 no. It's really nice now. So anyway, the artists, as usually happens, sort of brought everybody to Hoboken. So now it's very crowded and it's very sort of a mainstream, nice neighborhood. That's how I ended up in Hoboken. I lived there for about six years. Yeah, I really liked it. I mean, it was great. It was not a romantic kind of Frank Sinatra haven like people think it is. It's very yuppie and very fratty and there's lots of bars. But there's definitely spots where you can have a Frank Sinatra moment. (laughs) But it's not really the shrine that you would think it is. I was listening to one of your songs, Equivocation. Yes. Tell us about the inspiration behind that one. (laughs) The inspiration behind that one is about as basic as it gets, which is that I was falling in love with somebody, and we had to be separated for a time because of previous plans. And so I figured that, you know, eventually... We'll end up together, but it's just going to take a little while. And that's what happened. So that's pretty much the whole story of that song. And it was a bear to make because I was a novice at programming. I played and programmed all the instruments on that record. And I (laughs) didn't know what I was doing with grids and stuff. So that's pretty much it. And then the, you know, the, the, making of that song, I had to sort of, I played that bizarre rhythm kind of, I actually played it instead of putting it on a grid like you're supposed to do just because I didn't know any better. And so it's a little 
crazy sounding, but I kind of like that it's that way. I wanted to know, I'm just curious, your uncle, Frank Sinatra Jr. Yeah. You know, we had the chance to interview him on this program. He's a very, very interesting guy. Yeah. Has he been for you a source of any kind of, I don't know, like feedback or I guess what I'm asking is in terms of your own music, have you learned from him? You know what I learned from him? What's that? I learned a few things from him. I learned that no matter how difficult it is to be related to some of these people, just in terms of having your own voice and having your own being taken seriously, basically, which is difficult, you have no choice sometimes but to do it because it's in our blood. And he has had such an uphill battle in terms of, I mean, just his name, you know, Mm -hmm. quite a burden to put on a kid, to be perfectly honest with you. I think it's a little crazy that they named him that. But he's had that his whole life to sort of surmount. And many people say to me, well, why did he go into that? Why is he doing that music? And I say, because he loves it. He believes it. He feels it with all his heart. And he doesn't care. He doesn't care that it's difficult. He doesn't care that it's challenging. He doesn't care about any of that stuff. He believes in that music. He loves it. And he lives and breathes it. So I think that's pretty damn inspiring myself. That was exactly the word that was going through my head. Inspiring. Yeah. You were mentioning kind of before we started the interview about the fact that you're a music teacher. How did you get involved with that? I actually had my daughter in a class. And I really loved it for her. She really enjoyed it. And I hadn't worked in a long time because... I had lived in New York for all those years, and then I had had a whole career doing music supervision in New York for a long time. But I had my kid, and we decided to move back to L.A., and I didn't work for about a year so I could be home with her. And then it came time where I had to start getting some extra money. So I went, and I got certified to teach this specific type of music program for kids. What is the best thing about being A.J. Lambert? (laughs) I've got a great kid. That's the best thing about being me. I've got a fantastic little girl. She's my whole life. And I'm super lucky to have her. I'm super lucky to have had the family and the upbringing that I've had. You know what I mean? So for anyone who is reading this, or listening to this, just totally open-ended, what would you say to them? I just, I'm living my life. I'm having a really nice time with my girl and my, I'm singing a lot. I'm thinking about making a record. I don't have any illusions about being a famous person. I don't want to necessarily be a famous person. I have a lot of those in my family and it's been their turn. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not going to kill me if I don't, do music the rest of my life. My message is just everybody have a nice life. I, I'm nobody. I'm, I'm a granddaughter. I don't have a message. Famous people and people that are pundits and famous contribution-laden stars and stuff have messages. I'm just a schmuck music teacher with a lovely kid. And I happen to be born to Frank Sinatra. That's it. I don't have a message. My last question. In your own words, who is A.J. Lambert? 
most people care about me because of my relatives. I'm a really nice person who happens to have a really cool kid. I'm really funny. I've gotten a perfect wit. It's just because I'm who I'm, who I'm related to. I, I do a lot of cool stuff, but I think people who are reading this would be more interested in maybe my music or my stuff that I'm doing coming up. It's coming up. It's just kind of in the pipeline right now. And I appreciate you asking about me, but I'm really nobody, and that's okay. I'm just, I'm a mom, and I'm a singer, and I'm a teacher, and I'm a bookkeeper, and I'm a waitress. That's pretty much it. Well, I very much appreciate you sharing with us. Yeah, awesome. All right, well, you have a good one. All right, you too. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you for stopping by today. If you enjoyed our program, consider telling a friend about it. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible through people just like you. So you want to keep the show going, right? Go to thepaulleslie.com. That's thepaulleslie.com. Click on Support the Show. And thanks to everyone who contributes. Performance of the intro music is courtesy of John Primerano, the entertainer. Written by Scott Joplin. End credit theme music is courtesy of John Primerano, the traditional song, Corina, Corina. Your announcer is Dan Gold. Hey, that's me. The show is hosted and produced by Paul Leslie. And we'll see you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour. <laughs>